You know, whenever we do a sermon here, I start out by giving you a story, right? I'll give you a story or an illustration of some kind, and then I try to make a point from that story. It's something that happens in the Bible, too. It's not just something that we do at church. It's also something that happens in the Old Testament, happens in the New Testament when Jesus told parables. But today, the entire song that we're going to look at is like a metaphor. It's a picture. Some would call it an allegory. It just basically means that there's things in this story, this quick little six-verse song, that teach us big concepts about God. So if you got your Bible and it's open to Psalm 23 like mine is, I want you to look at the first words here. These are familiar. As you read them, you might be even thinking, oh, I've memorized these before. Look what Psalm 23 says. Verse 1. It says, a line at the beginning, the Lord is my shepherd. So if you don't know what this, this little song is going to be about, you know now. It's going to be about how God is like a shepherd. So the big overarching thing I want us to understand tonight is like the sheep shepherd thing. I know the Bible talks about that all the time. We don't often think about it, right? Sheep and shepherd, right? If you think about how you experience animal life, some of you have pets. I heard about a, a particular two set of crabs who, who died under one of your care tonight. I heard about that. Um, it wasn't your fault, probably. But you guys have pets, right? I never had pets growing up. Who has never had pets? Who's never had pets? Okay. Yeah, I'm with you guys. I never had pets. I guess I had a goldfish, but that doesn't really count, right? right? That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Goldfish is the pet that people get when they have no pets, right? So I had a goldfish, but I never had a dog or a cat. But if I'm just thinking of the main pets, raise your hand if you have a dog, okay? Raise your hand if you have a cat, okay? Most of you have a dog or a cat. So if this was going to be written in today's language, we might use something like a cat or a dog, but there's an animal that none of you have. Does anyone have a sheep? Anyone have a sheep? No, no, don't think so. No, your little brother or sister does not count as a sheep, okay? Does not count. Even if they played a sheep in the Christmas musical, they do not count, okay? But what I want you to think about is what it would be like to own some sheep. What would it be like if you were a shepherd? Okay, I want to take you back to the Old Testament because David, the guy who writes this psalm, he was a shepherd. Actually, a lot of people in the Bible were shepherds. Abraham was a shepherd. Jacob was a shepherd. Many people in the Bible were shepherds, not just David. He was just one of many people who had sheep, who had a bunch of livestock. And I want you to imagine what it would be like to have a bunch of them. It's worse than having a lot of dogs and cats because sheep, I hate to tell you this, are not very smart. You ever heard that before? You ever heard that sheep are not very smart? Well, people who preach the Bible say that a lot, and it's true because it's it's the truth. Sheep are really dumb. Maybe you've heard stories. Uh, this is a very popular story that if one sheep walks off a cliff, what often happens is all the other sheep just follow them off a cliff, right? They're not very smart. They need a lot of help, okay? So when the Bible talks about us like sheep and God like a shepherd, it's communicating a big truth that we might not understand with cats and dogs that we normally have, okay? A sheep and a shepherd. A shepherd was someone whose whole job it was in life was to take care of a group of animals, a group of sheep who were smelly and kind of dumb, right? Not very smart. They had a lot of problems. They would oftentimes get stuck. Sometimes there's reports of sheep turning over, and if they're laying on their back, they will die in like three hours or something because if they don't like turn back over, someone turns them back over, they don't get enough like circulation in their legs and they just like die with their feet up, okay? So sheep need a lot of help. When you fall down, you don't need a crane to come and pick you up, right? Right? Okay, good. Um, that's basically what you need if you're a sheep. If you fell down, if you went somewhere you weren't supposed to go, you would literally need someone like a shepherd to come and help you. So this picture that David is painting for us is a vivid picture, but we might not understand it perfectly. It says, the Lord is our shepherd. So he's like that guy who owns a whole group of sheep. But what does that make us? Well, that makes us the sheep of his flock. And that's all over the Bible. We're going to look at tons of passages tonight that talk about how God is the shepherd and we are the sheep. And here's what he says next. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. What that means is, imagine you have sheep who never need anything that the shepherd doesn't provide for them, okay? That was not the experience for most sheep. Most sheep had to walk through some hard places. Other sheep had to go for days on end without food, and they didn't have water and food all the time, but a good shepherd would make sure his flock had everything they needed, and that's the picture here. David is saying, 
God is my leader. He's in charge. I am not very smart. I'm kind of like a sheep, and I need a lot of protection. I'm very vulnerable. But God takes care of me, so much so that there's nothing I really need apart from him. He gives me everything I need. Look at verse 2. It says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. This is why I said this is a metaphor or an allegory. He's not saying that his favorite place to go to bed is in a field of grass. Okay, that's not what David's saying. That's not what we should take away. That'd be funny if that was on your application questions. Go home and sleep on the grass, right? That's not what this is saying. What it's saying is, imagine you're a sheep. What's the one place you want to be? Well, you want to be in a pasture that's green, not dead and brown and no food anywhere. You want to be somewhere where there's a lot of food says he leads me beside still waters, right? The only place that sheep can actually drink from, because if you could imagine sheep not being very smart, if they rushed into a river that was going really fast, what happens to our poor little sheep, right? Belly up, okay? They don't last very long. So you need to find a place where there's water and it's still. What David is saying is God provides everything that's needed for his people. So much so it's like we're in a green pasture or we're by still waters, Then he starts to get specific. Now we're getting out of the the metaphor, it says here, verse 3. It says, he restores my soul. Right Now we're not talking about sheep language. Now he's kind of getting literal here. He's saying, you know what God does for me? Just like a sheep who needs to be fed, who needs uh, warmth, who needs shelter sometimes, just like a sheep who needs water, you know what? God gives that to me. Not just to my physical body, but he also restores my soul. What I need with God, God provides. He takes care of me, not just in my body, but also in my soul. Verse number three, he leads me in paths of righteousness. Like God lays out for us the way that we should go. He gives us the book of Deuteronomy. He gives us his law. He, like we talked about last week from Psalm 19, he gives us his word for us in the Old and New Testaments. He's given you so much, and it's like he's laid out a path for you that you should walk in. That's what David said. He says, all of this is for his name's sake. God does all this not just for us, not just because he loves us, that although that's true, he does it so that he would be praised in the end. Look at verse four, famous verse here. It says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Right? That's what it would be like to be a sheep with the shepherd. You can imagine in a valley, there might be some nice food. If you ever go in a valley, it's usually wetter and cooler down in the valley, right? And that's true, but Also, a valley is a place that's dangerous. If you could imagine, you might have the coyotes and all the the livestock coming out, the predators, the leopards, the things that want to get you, the cougars, whatever is out, the mountain lions, whatever is out there to come get you, you know where you're most vulnerable? Well, it's in the valley. It's in the place where there might be a lot of nice food, but the problem is you're in danger. You need your shepherd there. In fact, I read a book this week that was from a shepherd who wrote this book, and in that book, he talked about leading his sheep through a valley. And what oftentimes happens is if they're not careful, if they don't spend the night awake guarding the sheep, what happens is you can have one predator kill hundreds of sheep. Because remember, sheep are not very smart. What happens is they just kind of sit there and take it. You might have a predator that comes in, imagine like a mountain lion that jumps on a a flock of sheep and they just tear these sheep apart one by one. They're just eating them, just killing them everywhere. And it's like if the shepherd is not alert and awake, this flock is in a lot of trouble. What David is saying is, I might be in the scariest position of my life, but here's what I know. I know that God is with me. God is with me to protect me, to care for me. He's with me. Look at this. It says, You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. There's two things that a shepherd would hold. One of them was a rod, which was like a little short stick that a lot of them would throw at things. And I read a story about a shepherd killing this snake that came out and almost bit him. He just took his rod and just went bang, 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 just killing and he killed the snake. Um, That's pretty cool. Also, what they do with the rod sometimes is they would take it and throw it at animals that were far away, um, like to scare them away. What would happen is maybe there's a coyote that jumps on a, on a sheep, and you can imagine the shepherd just going up there with his like little baseball bat club and just clubbing them and just, not the sheep, sorry, um, <laughs> the wolf or whatever is going after the sheep. He would take them out. It was like his weapon. And the staff is that long pointy thing that you've probably seen in like cartoons, right? That long pointy staff with the curve on the end. And what they would use that for is to gently take sheep out of their position. Remember, sheep needed help just to turn over, right? If they fell on their back, they were going to die. 
So what happened was you would take that staff and kind of lift it up and you would grab the sheep and you'd pull the sheep back on its feet. Or you would take it out of a scary place or out of maybe some, some bushes and some places where the sheep got stuck, you would grab it with the staff and bring it close to you. So what he's saying here is God does many things for us, but one of the main things he does is he defends his people with, with that rod. Sometimes the rod was used to correct the sheep. It was a little stick, so if the sheep was going somewhere they weren't supposed to go, the shepherd would just take that rod and just kind of give the sheep a little smack, and then they go, oh, okay, shouldn't go there. Also, that staff to protect them, to take them out of danger. Verse number five, he shifts the metaphor a little bit. He says, now what God does for us, he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He says, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. A lot of imagery there. What it's saying is, imagine you had a meal, but not just any meal, when you were in the face of your enemies. Imagine you eating a, a meal, like a steak with some potatoes and some corn on the cob and something nice, right? White tablecloth, right? But all that's happening while God is keeping the enemy at bay. It's like you're doing it right in front of your enemy. How can you have peace when you got enemies right in front of you? What God is saying here is he takes care of his people so much so that they can have no fear, even in light of their enemies. It says more than that, he anoints his head with oil. Oil was like the thing they used for everything. It was like medicine. It was like the thing that helped them with their skin. It would help them if they had like chapped lips. They would put it on their, their lips. Like we have chapped lips too. We use chapstick, right? Oil was used for everything. But the point was, it was God's blessing for them. More than that, his cup overflows. Imagine having so much in your cup that's put in there that it's just overflowing. It's a picture that God gives, not just a little bit, but God gives so much goodness for his people. Verse number six, last verse here. He says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Goodness and mercy, two big truths that God describes so often in the Old Testament. That word mercy usually is not translated mercy. It's usually translated steadfast love. It's that phrase we see all over the Bible where God is loyal to love his people. He doesn't abandon them. He doesn't give up on them. He's continually showing love. He says, God's goodness and mercy are following me. That word follow is actually not a great word to use. The, the better word to use is surely goodness and steadfast love are chasing me down. That word follow is actually the word used all in the Psalms to talk about how an enemy is chasing David down. Remember when David was running from Saul in the wilderness and Saul was just chasing him from point to point? He was pursuing him, right, in a scary way. What this is saying is God's steadfast love, God's good gifts are pursuing me. It's like everywhere I go, God is chasing me down with all of his good gifts. Doesn't feel like that all the time, but he can look back and say that's true. Then the last phrase here, he says, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He knows that his ultimate hope is not just in having a nice life or no enemies anymore. His ultimate hope is being with God forever. He knew that one day when he died, he would be with God for eternity. He didn't understand everything about that at the time, didn't quite understand that it was through Jesus, but even the New Testament says those people in the Old Testament, they look forward to God and they trusted God that he would make a way for them to be with him forever. So a lot here in Psalm 23, there's actually three little phrases that I think control all of this psalm. The first one comes in verse one where he says, the Lord is my shepherd, okay? The Lord is my shepherd. What does that mean? Well, it means that God has a personal relationship with David and he cares for him. So David is the sheep and God is the shepherd. But that close relationship is not true of everyone. Right? You might read the psalm and think, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Yeah, I mean, this sounds like someone who knows God very well, but I don't know if this sounds like my experience. I don't even know, you know if this is necessarily true about me. Right? And you might perceive that and you might be right about that. The Lord is not everyone's shepherd in the special sense. And Jesus actually uses this phrase in the New Testament. He says, I am the good shepherd and I have a flock. And those people who I call, they know my voice and they follow me. So when we look at this, I understand that we cannot look at Psalm 23 and everyone can't pick it up and say, oh, this is all true of me. Because if you don't know God, if you're not a real Christian yet, you probably don't know this experience that David is talking about. You probably have never felt close to God like that. And I think there's a reason for that. It's because if you're not a Christian, you are not close to God. You need Jesus to make you close to God. You need to call out on Jesus and ask him to save you and forgive you. 
And that's what John 10 says. And when we call out on him, he saves us. Now we're part of his flock. If we're real Christians, when we repent of our sin, when we trust in Jesus. So I understand that this is not super applicable for everyone. But the point, the first point I want you to write down here, so we understand that phrase, the Lord is my shepherd. Here's what I want you to write down. Point number one, start following God like a good sheep. Start following God like a good sheep. Now, when you read this, the Lord is my shepherd, the question you should ask yourself is, is he really my shepherd? Is he? Because all this stuff is so personal about his, his relationship with God and the love that God has for him. The question you have to ask yourself is, do I actually know God like that? Can I know God like that? And the first answer is, none of us should know God like that because we've all sinned. We've all broken God's rules. None of us should be close to God, not even David. Someone has to do something to make us close. And that's what Jesus did. That's why what we talk about all the time around here is that Jesus came to live a perfect life in our place, to die on the cross, and then to rise again so that we could have eternal life, so that we could be close to God. We could not have a relationship with God if it were not for what Jesus did in the past. But what we have to do is we have to trust him. So if you're a person who doesn't trust in him yet, if you're a person who's not repented of your sins yet, you can't even read the rest of the psalm and think, oh yeah, I can take comfort in all these truths. You can't quite do that yet. I understand that about this passage. It's so personal, right? This passage, you notice how often he says me and my and I. Or he says the Lord is my shepherd. He doesn't say the Lord is all of our shepherd, right? He's just, yeah, he's the shepherd of all of us. He's like, no, no, personally, God cares about me. I know that's, that's an odd thing, but have, do you think that way? You can only really think of that in that very personal way if you know God if you have trusted in Jesus for salvation, if you've repented of your sins. And the truth is, I know that so many of you have heard the good news. You've heard the bad news and you've heard the good news, but you've never responded to the gospel. You've never turned from your sin. You thought, you thought that for some reason, maybe you could just continue to live your life the way it is, and maybe one day, maybe at some point, you'll like start acting like a Christian. Right? It doesn't happen until you decide that you're gonna trust in Jesus doesn't happen until you decide, yeah, I'm going to repent of my sins. I'm going to be done with living for me. I'm going to trust in God now. I'm going to trust in Jesus who died for me. I'm going to trust in him that now his payment is applied to me. I'm going to trust in that now. Like, you're not a Christian if that hasn't happened yet. You're not right with God if that hasn't happened yet. You can't experience Psalm 23 in the same ways if that is not true of you. John chapter 10 mentioned this. If you're an eighth grader, you probably remember studying this last year with us. We looked at the whole gospel of John last year. John chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus said to the people, I am the good shepherd. So when we look at the Old Testament and see all these things about shepherds, Jesus kind of slots himself in there and says, I'm the good shepherd. I actually think John 10, he's talking about more than just the shepherd passages. He's talking about some passages in Ezekiel where the people, the leaders of Israel are called bad shepherds. In contrast to that, Jesus says, I'm not a bad leader. I'm not a person who uses my power against you. I'm actually a good shepherd. I am the good shepherd, the shepherd of Psalm 23. That's me. He says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I want you to imagine, what would it be like if I told you, I have a great gift for you? It's an amazing gift. I've got a gift. It's worth about $80,000. I'm going to give it to you. You're like, whoa. $80,000, that's that's a lot of money. Yeah, I'll take that gift. Okay, great. Here's like um, like 8,000 sheep. Actually, you'd be like 800 sheep, right? 800 sheep. Now you got to take care of sheep. You got to move across the world, live in some remote place, and here's your sheep. It's $80,000. I mean, it's expensive, but no no one's taking that. No one's taking that job offer, right? You probably don't want to do that. Why? Well, because you know enough about the Bible, and you probably know enough about um, animals that they stink, right? And that you have to take care of them, and you have to sleep outside, and you'd have to get your hands dirty, and you'd have to go weeks on end without showering or brushing your teeth in a normal way, right? Sorry to say, like, maybe you could brush your teeth, but that's maybe an exaggeration. But you would, like, not want to take that job because you think, wow, that would be a hard job. Well, you also have to think what David is saying when he says, the Lord is my shepherd, and when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, you understand that God does not have to be a shepherd of anybody. That is a very low job. That's a low position. In fact, some people have said that that's the job that they would always give to the youngest and the weakest brother. That's David's job, right? He was the youngest. He was like, you, that's like taking out the trash. 
or, or, or scrubbing the toilets, right? That's the job for the, the youngest person. That's the job for the, the, the little guy. The shepherd was that role. It was not a glamorous job. In fact, it was a really hard job. You probably would not take my offer if I gave you 800 sheep. You'd be like, no, not about that. I'm not going to, you know, leave Orange County and leave my nice house. I'm not going to leave my comfy bed and my school. I mean, maybe you want to leave your school. But you wouldn't want to leave a lot of things to be a shepherd. This would be hard. Jesus, in saying he's our shepherd, is saying a very humble thing. That he is taking a role that God takes in the Old Testament, that Jesus continues in the New Testament. And what he says is, I will be a caretaking, sacrificial, loving shepherd for my people. That's what I do. That should blow your mind. If you think about how amazing God is, how strong and powerful and holy he is, why would God ever want to get in the dirt, so to speak, and work with the dirty animals if he's the creator of the heavens and the earth? Why would he want to do that? Well, because the Bible says that God loves his people so much. And Psalm 23 says he does it for his name's sake as well. Later on in that passage, John 10, 27, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will ever snatch them out of my hand. That's what Jesus says about his people. That's what Jesus says about the people who turn from their sin and trust in him. They're my people, he says. They're chosen by God and he will keep them forever. You can never lose your place with God. You can never lose your salvation in God. But I understand that the whole sheep shepherd thing might not be true for you. It's not true if, if you're not in Christ. Luke 15, Jesus told a story about sheep and a shepherd. I want you to see the humility of this picture. This is Luke 15, 4. Jesus told a, a parable. He said, what man of you, what shepherd of you, who has a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the 99 sheep in the open country and go after the one that's lost until he finds it. So you, you would have to do that. If you're a good shepherd, you would have to leave the rest of your flock to go take care of that other one. It says, and when he's found it, he lays it upon his shoulders. You can imagine a sheep on his shoulders, right? A nice little lamb. You're holding both legs, right? Leg, two legs here, two legs here. You got this big sheep, fluffy sheep, right? On his back. The shepherd, could you imagine how happy the shepherd would be? Running back into town, like bumping, jumping, right? Walking into town, I could imagine, right? It says he comes home with the sheep on his shoulders, and he's rejoicing. And when he, come ho- when he comes home, he calls his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, celebrate with me. It says, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. It's a helpful picture of God as the shepherd who seeks out his people. I want you to see something amazing about God in that passage because there's so many sheep shepherd passages. But what I want you to see is how amazing is it that God, who owns everything, who can do anything he wants, he loves us enough to come and save us. Not just by saying, oh, great, you're saved. He sends his son Jesus to live 30-something years on this planet in not a great location, not a great place. He lived a hard life. You can imagine his hands were all cut up. He had a hard job. He worked with his hands. Then for three years, for three whole years, he ministered. He didn't have one place to live. He lived all over. Sometimes he slept out in the open. Other times he slept in other people's houses. He jumped from couch to couch. And what was he doing? He was preaching the word. He was healing people, showing people what it's going to be like in the kingdom of God one day where every bad thing is fixed. And he does all that leading up to the time where he goes to the cross. Although he didn't deserve it, he's betrayed by a friend. He goes to the cross. He dies on the cross, willingly suffers in your place and in my place. God punishes him so that we would not have to go through that. God punishes him and gives him that terrible experience so that you and I would not have to be separated from him. And what he calls you and not me to do is to trust in him. Trust in the sacrifice that he made. He calls you to turn from your sin. Right? That's what it means for God to save lost sheep. That's what he does. There's another passage that talks about sheep. Matthew 25, 31, where in that passage, Jesus continues to speak about sheep. And he says, the problem is not everyone is a sheep. Not everyone is a part of the fold of God. Jesus says, this is Matthew 25, 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. 
Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another, as a, shep- as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goat. Right? You got all these sheep that come in, you have all these goats that come in, and it's like the shepherd's trying to put them in their own piles here. It says, and he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. And the king will say to those on his right, now we've shifted from the metaphor of sheep and shepherd, now we're back to God, right? We're back to Jesus the king. What does Jesus the king say to the sheep, so to speak, the people that are his? He says, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared from you from the foundation of the world. It's like this sheep shepherd picture is supposed to show God's great care for us, his love for his people. Problem is if, like I said earlier, you're one of those people who hears the gospel and rejects it. He says, nope, I'm not going to be about that. Nope, I'm not going to follow him. You're testing God's patience. You're hearing the word and not responding to it. I told you I read a book from a shepherd this week, and one of the things he said, he had this sad story um, where he had a sheep that would not listen to him. It was, he said it was this amazing sheep, this, this girl sheep, only even what you call uh, female sheeps, um, amazing like there was this she he said it was the the most beautiful the prettiest it had the best wool it was like the perfect sheep everything about it this this lady sheep whatever you call them is perfect and ew yeah ew that's what guys say when they you know cooties ew it's a, a you it's a you you lamb right you lamb a you sorry not an ew but a you thank you um Ew is what you say when you see the boys, right? You is what you say if you're a girl sheep, okay? Um, but here's what this shepherd said, where he had this one sheep that would not listen to him. So it's actually, in fact, the sheep would go, walk away, try to jump over the fences. Sometimes the sheep would try to lead all these other sheep away from the flock and into dangerous places. Look what he says. He says, after putting up with her perverseness for a summer, a whole summer long, this sheep was running away. I finally came to the conclusion that to save the rest of the flock from becoming unsettled, she would have to go. I could not allow one obstinate, discontented you, thank you, you, to ruin the whole ranch operation. It was a difficult decision to make, for I loved her in the same way I loved the rest of the sheep. Her strength and her beauty and her alertness were a delight to the eye. But one morning, I took the killing knife in hand and butchered her. Her career fence crawling was cut down. It was, only, it was the only solution to the dilemma. She was a sheep in spite of all that I had done to give her the best care in life who wanted something else. She was not like the one who said, quote, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The idea there is there are sheep that always are trying to run away, always trying to run away from God's gifts, always trying to run away from God's instruction. And the warning for us is, that's not the kind of sheep that are in God's fold, right? If you're always constantly running away from the Lord, instead of being stubborn and rebellious like a lot of sheep are, you have to say, I'm going to start following Jesus. I'm going to stop running away. I'm going to stop doing what I want to do. I need to trust in Jesus. I need to repent of my sins. I need to trust that Jesus has saved me from eternal separation from God. Call out on him. Ask him to do that. The Bible says that if you call on him, he will do that. He promises to make you part of his fold. That's the first line, the Lord is my shepherd. The next line is, I shall not want. What he goes on to talk about in Psalm 23 is all of the amazing gifts that God gives to his flock, to his people. I want us to look at that again. If you're in Psalm 23, look at verse 2. It says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. A lot of things that God does there for his sheep, the people who really trust in him. Point number two, I want you to pick this up. I want you to be content. If you're his sheep, I want you to be content because God guides and provides for his sheep. God guides and provides for his sheep. That's talking about us. If you're a real Christian, what does God do? Well, God guides you and he provides for you. He guides you. How does he guide you? Well, by green pastures and still waters and also in paths of righteousness. Right? How does God lead us? Well, it reminds us of the psalm we looked at last time, Psalm 19. How does God teach us? How does he instruct us? Well, he uses his word to do that. 
green pasture, still waters. That same shepherd that I read about and I read from just now said that there's a lot of things that sheep need to be happy. They will not even go to sleep unless they feel like they're safe, unless they feel like they're secure, unless they've got full bellies, unless they feel like everything's good around them. If they have parasites or bugs or fleas or ticks, they won't go to sleep. They're constantly anxious is basically what sheep are. It's a good picture of what he's saying here. God does so much for you and for me. If you're one of his people, he has done so much to protect, to provide, to guide us, but we have to follow him. We have to listen to what God's word says. But to be content, that's what it means to say, I shall not want. There's three statements in this text where it's like, I won't do this, or I will do this. The first one is, I shall not want. The second one is, in verse four, I will not fear. The third one is, from verse six, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Really, those are gonna be the three things that we're gonna pick up in verse, in chapter, or point two, three, and four. But point two is all about, I shall not want. What that means is, God calls us as the sheep, so to speak, to be content. What does it mean to be content? Paul talks about contentment in the, in the Bible. He says, in Philippians chapter four, he says, I've learned the secret of contentment. Right? What does it mean to be content? To feel like, yeah, I've got everything I need. Do I have everything I want? No. Right? Could I make a whole wish list of things that I want? Sure, I could. But God has given me everything I need and more. In order for you to do that, you have to realize you need a whole lot less than what you think you need. Have you ever thought about that? When people say, how many meals do you need a day? Right? It's a weird question. It's like, well, you could probably eat once every three days and survive. Right? You probably could. Not the best idea. I would recommend eating two or three times a day. That would probably be a good thing. Um, you naturally probably already do that. But the reality is you need less than even what you think you need. You think that you need 15 pairs of shoes, but you don't need 15 pairs of shoes, right? You probably already have too many shoes, right? Some of you guys only have two pairs of shoes, so sorry if you have two pairs of shoes. Um, but you probably already have more shoes than you need. You probably already have more jackets than you need. You probably already have more video game time than you need. You don't actually need that much. If you have any of that, you probably have more than what you need because you don't need any of it. You don't need your phone. Like, you start to think about the stuff you really need. You probably need a lot less than you think you need. And that's part of what it means to be content, to realize my need list is a lot smaller than I think it is. I have a big want list. I think it's a need list. The truth is it's actually a want list. Paul says, I've learned the secret of contentment. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So he's like, I've been rich, I've been poor. I've had times where I have more than enough food and I've had times where I've gone to sleep on an empty belly. I know what it is to have a lot and a little. That's what Paul said. The reality is a lot of us can't even enter that situation as well as Paul can because I guarantee for every one of us, Paul has gone through, in Philippians 4, he'd been through more sleepless nights than you have more than I have. He had gone through more hardship than you have, more than I have. He's gone through more nights where he had nothing to eat for days on end, a lot more than you have, a lot more than I have. So the reality is it's sometimes hard for us to even connect with this, which is why we of all people should realize we need to be content. We need to be thankful because God gives us so much more than we need. You might've wondered, what's the secret of contentment? You kept saying, Paul said there's a secret to contentment, right? Well, it's a verse that you might have heard quoted in another context, but this is how Paul really says it. After saying, you know what, I can have a lot or I can have a little, he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. What that means is he can go through hard times for God and he, and he can make it through it. He can go through real, serious sadness, real, serious times of not having enough food, not having enough friends, having his friends stab him in the back. He can go through all of that because Christ who strengthens him. It's not about going off and accomplishing amazing things. That's not what this text is talking about. It's saying, I can have a lot or I can have a little. But God will sustain me through it all. Why? Because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. And guess what else he does? He restores my soul. 
not just on the outside, not just giving me all the food I need. He also restores my soul when I'm sad, when I'm cast down. What do we see all the time in the book of Psalms? What is David always doing? It's like, I'm hoping in God, though. God gives me hope. What God has said in his law, that gives me hope. The promises God has made, that gives me hope. I'm not going to be anxious. I'm not going to be scared. I'm not going to be worried, even if the situation is scary. I'm not going to do that because the Lord is my shepherd. You're in Psalm 23. Turn over in your Bibles to Psalm 103. Psalm 103. I never want to see this. Two chapters here, actually, I want to look at. Psalm 103 and Psalm 105. Look at them really quick, but in both of them, we see an interesting little theme here. I think that's why they were compiled to be put next to each other. Psalm 103 might be more famous than Psalm 105, but both of them share the same story. Psalm 103, verse 1 says, Bless the Lord, praise God, O my soul, and all that is within me. Not just part of me. I want to praise God with everything right now. I want all my focus to be on how good God is. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. I challenge you, I was, well, like I was challenged as I looked at this, that that has never even actually literally been true of me. Have I ever remembered every last one of God's benefits? No, it's, there's so many I can't even, I could, if I made a list, it'd be bigger than that. I could make a list time and time and time again, and God's gifts and his blessings would still be more than that. Things I didn't even realize. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Forget not all of his benefits. Look what he does in verse 3. Who forgives all your iniquity. If you're a Christian, God has forgiven every last one of your sins, past, present, future. For all of eternity, you are secure in God. He forgives all your iniquities. He heals all your diseases. You know how I know that? Because you're not dead yet, right? Right? Every time you got sick, you got better, right? Even if you're in the middle of sickness, guess what? God's going to probably make you better. And even if he doesn't make you better in this life, guess what? He will heal your diseases because you'll just die and then you'll have a perfect body forever. So guess what? Boom, roasted. You'll be healed forever, right? Keeps going. He redeemed your life from the pit, right? That's the idea that he's almost going to die. It's like his enemy's right there. His, his enemy's going to kill him. But what does God constantly do for David? Brings him out of the pit. It's almost like the picture of the shepherd's staff grabbing a sheep out of a pit. Because that's what God does for us. Takes us out of the pit. He crowns you with, guess what? Steadfast love and mercy. Just like it says in Psalm 23, goodness and mercy. His steadfast love and mercy. He, it's like he puts it on our head like a crown. He satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Maybe that's a better verse for the old people, right? But the idea there is, it's like God gives us renewed energy. Like we were down, we were depressed, we were sad, but guess what God does? He lifts us up. His love lifts us up constantly. That's Psalm 103. Turn to the right to Psalm 105. Look at this. So not only... We get some specifics there of what God does for his people. But in Psalm 105, I want you to see this. Now, he doesn't just talk about his personal life. Now he starts to go to say, look at all that God has done for all of his people. Right? Psalm 103 is very personal. Psalm 105 goes even further than that. Psalm 105, verse 1. It says, oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Basically what that saying is, start bragging about God. Start telling people what God did. If God has done something good, start telling people, look what God did. Tell of his deeds throughout all the peoples. All the nations need to know how good God is. Verse two, sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Same idea. Like we need to start talking about the good things that God has done. Think back in this last week. How many times did you talk about the good things that God has done? How many times? Once, twice, three times, zero times? How many times do you talk about good stuff God does? I notice that a lot of times when we get together, we're very quick to say, oh, look at the good thing I did this week. And when we're, people are telling stories in the group, it's like, oh, well, I did this, well, I did this. And they're always trying to cut off telling about how I did this, I did that, right? Everyone does that. Even adults do that. But the point is, this text says, tell of God's wondrous deeds. Let's take some time to talk about what God has done. Verse number three, glory in his holy name. Right? Your, your whole excitement and energy and joy should be wrapped up in one thing in what God has done. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Right? It doesn't say let everyone's heart rejoice, right? Because it's not true for everyone. But if you seek God, he's saying, hey, everyone who's seeking God and you get to see the works that God does, your heart can rejoice. 
Number four, he says, seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. You should always want to be close to God. You should even want to feel like, like Christians feel when they're in prayer to God and when they're in heartfelt worship to God, whether it's through song or through remembering something God has done. It's like, seek that all the time. Like, you just keep going back to that. Keep knowing God that closely. Verse number five, remember the wondrous works that he's done, his miracles and the judgments that he's uttered. It's like saying, look at the Old Testament, and in the Old Testament, you know what you see? You see amazing things that God has done to save his people, but you know what else you see? You also see the judgments, the things that he does for his people, and sometimes punishing the bad people. That's what he's going to go on to talk about. Verse number five here, or verse number six, he says, oh, offspring, so children of Abraham, his servants, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. Then verse seven, he goes on. He says, he is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever. The word that he commanded for a thousand generations. We haven't even made a thousand generations, right? We're still in there. The covenant that he made with Abraham, his sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statue, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, I will give to you the land of Canaan as your portion and inheritance. When they were few in number, of little account and sojourners in it, wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people. He allowed no one to oppress him. He rebuked kings on their account, saying, touch not my anointed ones and do my prophets no harm. And he's gonna go on for two chapters, this chapter and chapter 106. And you know what he's gonna continually do? Look what God did here. Look what he did with the Israelites. Look what he did when they were in the wilderness. Look how he saved them from this problem. Look how he saved them in the time of the judges. Look how he did this with Samuel. Look how he did, it's like overwhelming. It's like, think of all the things that God has done. And now he's saying, you and me should be happy and we should thank God for those things. Not, not even the things that affect me. The things that God has done for others. It's huge. You need to be content because God guides and he provides for his sheep. When you look back on your life or even your past week, are you constantly saying, I want more, I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this, and you're creating your wants list, or are you creating your thanksgiving list for all the things that God has done? I'm not saying we can't go to God with our requests. In fact, Jesus tells us we should. But the reality is if we started to check our hearts, our wants and our things that we think we need probably far outweigh the things that we thank God for. These things shouldn't be that way. If you're in Psalm 106 or Psalm 105, go back to Psalm 23. It says, even in the scary times, even in the valley of the shadow of death, he says, I will fear no evil, right? That's the next thing. That's point number three. That's the next thing. What are we supposed to do in our relationship with God as shepherd? Well, we need not only be content, we also need to be courageous because God protects his sheep. Point number three, be courageous because God protects his sheep. With the rod and with the staff, he protects his sheep. He saves them out of problems. He comforts them. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. Right? Just knowing that God is with me in hard times, you know what that does? That really comforts me. That's why we don't have to be scared or anxious or nervous. We can just know, hey, God is with me in this. God is with me. Your heart doesn't have to be scared. It doesn't have to be overwhelmed, even if your situation is overwhelming. Right? Think about David, the one who writes this. How many times was his situation completely overwhelming? You never had somebody chasing you down, trying to kill you. Not just once, not just twice, but for years. Imagine for 10 years, from now until the time you turn 25, that somebody is trying to kill you day in and day out. And not just somebody, your, your father-in-law, right? A person in your family is trying to kill you, right? You don't have a father-in-law, I know. But like, imagine, like, that would be horrible. That your family turns against you and they want to kill you. But yet he says, I will not fear. It says, your rod and your staff, God's presence comforts me to know that God is with me in every hard time. You're in Psalm 23. Look at Psalm 27. I want to read this one together. David speaks this one. We don't have time to cover this as a whole sermon. I wish we could, but Psalm 27, verse 1, says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? David says, look, if God's with me, I don't need to be afraid anymore. Since the Lord is a stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? Like God is a strong city with powerful walls and high towers and strength. 
that it doesn't matter what army is going against this town, this city with these high walls. They're protected because of the strength of this fortress. It says God is that for his people. We hide in him. Verse number two, when evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh and my adversaries and foes, it's they who stumble and fall. The people are opposing me because I'm for God and they're not and they're opposing God. Guess what this says? Well, look, God's gonna make them fall. Don't worry about them. Don't worry if you think they're successful or they're famous or they're important or they're popular or everyone thinks they're funny. Don't worry about that. God is gonna make them stumble and fall. Verse number three says, though an army encamp around me, my heart shall not fear. The war rise against me, yet I will be confident. Why? Because one thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, right? Guess what house of the Lord existed at this point? Guess what temple David could go to? You couldn't go to one, right? You had a tabernacle. You had a tent. I don't think he's talking about that. I think he's talking about what he's going to next. I think he's talking about this presence of God that he talks about. He's talking about where he's going to go when he is dead. He was talking about where he's going to be for eternity. He says that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Right? If David's asking about a temple, think this one through for two seconds. He's not talking about a building. Right? <laughs> there wasn't one. Right? To inquire in God's temple. What does that mean? To, to, to be with God. Sometimes we say to go before, you've maybe heard this language, to go before the throne of grace, to be before God's face, so to speak. I know that's all figurative language, but what it means is to be close to God. He says, that's what I want. And if that's what you want more than anything else in this world, then guess what? You shall not want. You won't feel like you need your Amazon wish list fulfilled. You won't feel like you just have to go to this high school and you just have to play that sport and you just have to go to that college. Then you just have to marry that person. Then you just have to get that job. Then you just have to live in that neighborhood. Then you just have to have that many kids and then you just have to retire in that place. Then you just got to play golf every day till you die. And you just won't feel that way, right? You just won't feel that way because you'll have everything you need and more because you if you're a sheep in God's pasture, you have God. It says, for he will hide me in his shelter. Look at verse five. In the day of trouble, he will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock and my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. It says, then I will offer in his tent sacrifices and shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. I'll sing to God, I'll worship him because he's hidden me from this trouble. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You've said, quote, seek my face. God says, hey, I want you to seek me. And then David says, my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Don't turn your servant away in anger. Oh, you who've been my help, cast me not far off. Forsake me not, oh God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me. If you could think of something that would be sad and scary, it'd be if tomorrow both of your parents got up and decided to leave you on the street. That would, that would freak you out, right? And it should freak you out, right? If that happened to you tomorrow, that would be devastating for any of you, for all of you. It would be devastating even for the adults if your parents decided, I don't want to have anything to do with you tomorrow, right? Think about what, what a trial that would be. Here's what David says. My father and my mother, they're not even around anymore. They've forsaken me. But the Lord will take me in. The Lord will take me in. God will be my father. He'll be the one who protects me. He'll be the one who provides for me. Then he says in verse 11, teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have arisen against me. They breathe out violence. It's like they're always threatening me with things. They're always saying things. I'm going to kill David. I'm going to take out David. Did you hear David did this? Did you hear David did this? And they're saying all these false things about him. And he says, God, just, can you just like shut them up? I don't want to even hear about this anymore. Then in verse 13, what do you see? You see that David believes God. It says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He's saying, not even like when I die, because I know when I die, I'll be with God. But like, even now, here in this life, I believe that God will take care of me. He'll be good to me. Verse number 14, the call for all of us is wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. No matter what's going on, even if it's scary or if it's sad, or if you feel like you need to be anxious and concerned and worried, look at what David says here. His direction and focus is, what does it always go back to? It's like, I'm gonna focus on God right now. 
I'm not, I'm not going to focus on how scary the situation is. I'm not going to focus on the bad stuff at home. I'm not going to focus on the bad stuff at school. I'm not, I just can't be consumed by it because I know that if I focus all on these bad things, my heart will be weighed down. It will be consumed. He says here, even his father and his mother have forsaken me. Right? I mean, for you and me, like that, that, that would be something that would be hard to ever get over. It would be hard to ever move past that. But he says, you know what? The Lord will take me in. God will provide for me. He'll care for me. Even if everyone around me abandons me, God makes David secure. That's the word that really dominates our whole passage in Psalm 23. Secure, right? What does it feel like to be secure? It's like everything we're trying to do for our our baby daughter, right? It's like I want Eden to be secure. I don't want, you know, to say, oh, it was raining last night. You know, let's just, maybe she'll sleep outside, right? It's like, no, no, no. Like, she needs to be secure. We need to take her and be very careful with her, right? Maybe I'm not as careful as I should be all the time. Um, but like, it's like I need to be careful. I need to make sure she, you know, doesn't, you know, hit her head or, or all that stuff. And I want her to be fed. It's kind of like the sheep. I was thinking about the sheep. I'm like, that's kind of like babies, right? Um, they need to be fed. They Just to go to sleep, they cry and stuff. It's kind of like the sheep. Right? They need to be well taken care of and provided for. Right? But this text is saying no, you don't have to fear. Not only should you not want, you also should not fear. You can be courageous. You can be strong. You can be bold because this text talks about how God comforts, protects, provides for us. The last verses here in Psalm 23 say that God prepares a table before us. He gives us oil. He gives us a cup that overflows more than what we need. He says, surely goodness and mercy shall chase me down all the days of my life. And then I will dwell. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There's three things. What are the three things that David says, I will do? He says, I will not want. I shall not want. Then he says, I will not fear. Because God is my shepherd, I shall not want. Because God is my shepherd, I shall not fear. Because God is my shepherd, the last line here, he says, I will. I know I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I know that I'll be with God for all of eternity. This whole psalm, if you really boil it down to that, it it gives security to us. We don't have to be insecure or questioning or wondering if God cares for us. We can know for a fact because not only what this text says, but everything that Jesus has done to prove it, that God cares for his people. Point number three, be calm because God cares for his sheep. We're asking tonight that if you're following God, if you're close to God, you'll be content, courageous, and calm. Those three things. I want you to remember those. I want to be content, I want to be courageous, and I want to be calm, not anxious, not scared. Jesus one time had a very scared group of disciples. In John 14, verse 1, Jesus said to them, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. He looked at them and he could see the concern in their eyes because of what Jesus had just said. He had just said, I'm going to leave you at some point. And that was the scariest thing because how can the shepherd leave? If the shepherd leaves, that's a bad thing. So he says, don't, don't be troubled about something. Don't worry about something. I know you're concerned, but don't worry. He says, believe in God. Trust God, but trust also in, in, in me. In my father's house, there are many dwelling places. There's many rooms. You can imagine God's house being like a big house, and there's a lot of different places to live there. It says, if it were not so, I would have told you. But now I go there to prepare a place for you. It says, and if I go, just know I'm coming back to take you there. The whole reason Jesus is gone. Have you ever thought about how weird it is that you follow someone who's gone? Right? Someone who died but has risen again. He's alive, but he left. Ever thought about that? It's kind of weird. Why did he leave? This passage says, here's why I left, because I'm going to prepare a place for you, but don't worry. If I'm preparing a place for you, every room in my house will be filled. He's preparing right now a place for you and for me to live for eternity. Have you ever thought about how crazy that is? That's why he's gone. When he comes back, what's he going to do? He's going to bring us to be with him. That's what the whole New Testament teaches. I was quoting Philippians 4 earlier. Um, I didn't quote the most famous part because if you start to think about contentment and being cool in scary situations, you might realize that there's a time earlier in that passage in Philippians 4.4 where Paul says that if you're in Christ, you should rejoice at all times. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Then he says, 
Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So it's like, what am I supposed to do when I'm scared? What am I supposed to do when I'm anxious? Listen to this. Pray to God. Ask, that's a supplication mean, and thanksgiving, right? You're asking and you're thanking. You're thinking about the wondrous works of God, Psalm 105, and then you're asking. You're bringing whatever request there is, right? which the main request that we got to pick up from, remember Psalm 27, verse 4, what's the main request? That you and me would seek God. That's what I want. I want to be close to God. That's the main thing we're praying for. Let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Just like God guards with that rod. Just like he uses that staff to protect and to comfort. Sometimes that rod was used as an instrument where they would throw it to hit wolves out of the pack. It's like it's God's guarding instrument. It's his strong right hand. He's got his rod there and he's ready to fight any enemies of his people. That's why Psalm 31 verse 19 says, Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and those and, and those who take refuge in you. Oh, how abundant is your goodness. It says, in the cover of your presence, you will hide them from the plots of men. You store them in your shelter from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his steadfast love to me, even when I was in a besieged city. David says, even when I was in a city that was attacked and everyone was trying to go after us, God protected me. You might be tempted to look at that and say, okay, well, that was David's experience. It's not my experience, right? Well, just know if you're one of his sheep, this is the experience. This is how we should think. Not that the experience is always that everything's going well. Remember the middle of this verse, or remember the middle of this psalm. Psalm 23, 4 says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the scariest place, because I don't need to fear evil. I don't need to be afraid because God's with me. I think there's probably times when sheep don't like when the shepherd comes after them, right? If they're about to get corrected, if they're going to try to eat. I read one thing that happened with these sheep. One of the things that they did was they would try to find green grass wherever they could. And this one sheep, and this, I mean, it's probably happened a million times, but in the story that I read, this one sheep was trying to find this nice little lush piece of grass, but it was in the middle of all these bushes, with thorns, and it was like a rose bush, all these thorns. So he goes in, right? He's got a big, you know, wool thing on his back, right? His, his fleece, his wool. Um, he goes in, trying to get that little, uh, you can imagine the little sheep mouth, like, ah, uh, trying to get the little, little sheep, not the little sheep, the little grass, right? And he's like, he just gets it, right? He's about to get it, and he gets stuck in all the thorn bushes, right? So now he's all stuck in the thorn bush. So I think sometimes the sheep are probably like, Oh, I hope the shepherd doesn't find me here. Uh, I know I'm not supposed to be here. And when the shepherd shows up, there might be a little, uh, might be a little swat on the nose for that. Like, sheep, what are you doing? Like, stop it. Don't get in there. But ultimately, you know that that shepherd's going to pull them out of that problem. Every time that the shepherd goes after the sheep, it's for their good, even if it doesn't feel like it every time. I think that's what the picture here at the end of surely goodness and mercy shall chase after me. The idea is sometimes you might not like what God does. You might not like it. You might think this situation is bad. I never would have chosen this. But when you look back in the past and you think about what God has done, what this text is saying is what you'll start to notice once you look back at all that God has done is you will see goodness and mercy being the things that chased you down. Although you thought it was a bad situation, although you didn't like to be at that school, although you didn't like the move that you made, God set it all up to get you where you are right now. Even further than that for David, with his life, what he would do is he would go through a time where he was on the run, but then God would have him be king. Interesting that how David all set this up in Psalm 23 was that he's the shepherd who's going to be the king, but ultimately it's God who's the shepherd. It's ultimately God who's the king, who's taking care of his people. We need to take comfort in that. Psalm 23 is a famous one, but hopefully you're encouraged by it. And we're going to talk about it in small groups tonight. I want to pray that God would continue to draw us close to himself. That if we're not part of God's flock, that we would turn to God tonight. Maybe for some of you, 
Tonight's the day. Today's the day. Tonight's the night that repentance and faith needs to happen for you. Let's pray for that right now. God, thankful that you're the shepherd. Thankful that you give us good gifts. Thankful that beyond the temporary, fleeting, yet gracious gifts that you give us, that you have sent your son to live in our place and to die in our place. That nothing we could ever have could ever compare to how good that is. Pray that we would learn contentment. Pray that we would learn to be courageous and strong and not anxious or fearful, but also that in all these things, we would also learn peace. We learn to be calm. We learn how to quietly, gently just trust you as we work for you every day. Pray that people in this room would start to understand this better, that we'd all understand this relationship better, and that you teach us so much in these small groups as we discuss it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.